The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter. And, you know, folks, this week, as we go into some of the darkest weeks of the year, and as we come up upon the holiday season, for which I think many of us have ambiguous feelings, both warm and trepidatious, if that's a word, I decided to do a show that I've been holding off on for a long time. But I really do find this an interesting subject. But nevertheless, and some of you might have guessed already, the reason I've held off on this is because we're going to have to get a little a little profane with this show. And the simple matter is that when we're talking about word histories, when we're talking about how language has changed. As often as not, the dirty words histories are more interesting than words like chair, partly because they've been suppressed, partly because they create interesting euphemizations, and partly because just because. And so, sorry to disappoint you kids, but on this one, your parents might want to think twice before letting you hear all of this one. I'm going to try to use the words as little as possible, but the concepts are going to come through. And so caveat listener, but this really is for educational purposes. And I promise that next week will be squeaky, squeaky McLean. What I'm going to start with is the fact that about a year ago I was in Jamaica and I was greatly amused to see on road signs, not just once, advertisements for cock soup. And, you know, we would never see anything like that here in America. It was cock soup. And you could tell from the pictures and things that what they meant was chicken soup. And there were advertisements with mothers giving this cock soup to their kids. And, of course, I'm sitting there thinking of, like, penis porridge or something like that. But the simple thing is that in Jamaica's English, which just happens to be a different roll of the dice in many ways from America's English, at least the standard Jamaican English, as opposed to the fascinating Patois, which is a Creole language. That's another story. But standard Jamaican English is a different roll of the dice. And the word cock still retains its original meaning, which refers to a male chicken. Perfectly innocent. I'm sure they've got the other meaning, too. But that meaning of chicken is still current enough that you can have yourself some powdered cock soup. And I just found myself thinking, wow, what is the history of our usage of that word and how we feel about it and how academically we know that it refers to a chicken, but we don't use that word. Really, we associate C-O-C-K with something else. Well, where did that come from? Well, you might think that it's some sort of analogy with the bird. And so you're thinking of the fact that the male bird is somehow the leader or maybe standing up straight, something having to do with what a chicken's neck looks like. But it's kind of forced. Maybe you would refer to that part of your body on the basis of some farm bird. But really, it's a weirder etymology. That word actually comes from a Scandinavian word of all things. It comes from when Vikings started invading and staying in England starting in 787 AD and they left a great raft of words and some of them are things like get and happy and neck and skirt but then of course some of them were you know more interesting than those and one of them was a word pillicock and pillicock didn't mean anything like what we're thinking. The cock ending was just some random ending. The pilla was the real part and their arguments as to what that meant. But these Vikings were given to referring to that part as out of many things, their pillicock. 
and English borrowed that word pillacock. And then, as you might imagine, shortened it. Pillacock is kind of too long, especially for something you talk about and think about so much. And so pillacock gets shortened to cock. And it's pretty sure that that's the source because in early word list, you see pillacock listed along with cock. They're considered the same thing. They're variations on the same word. And if one thinks that, well, maybe that was an accident and people just thought that pillacock and cock were the same thing, there were people running around named pillacock. There were, there were people like Johanna Pillacock. You can see it in the records. That's like somebody today being named basically, you know, John Member. And that was considered ordinary. And the thing is, it was a thing in a time when the profanity spotlight was aimed differently than it is now. Profanity was all about religion, whereas body parts, all of that was smutty, maybe worth a giggle, but you could be named things. If you've been listening for a little while, you remember my show about F-U-C-K, where there really was a man named Henry Fuckbutter running around being taken seriously, and we won't even get into Roger Fuck by the Naval. Well, in a world like that, somebody could be named Mr. Penis, Johanna Pillicock, and he wasn't the only one. So it starts with this innocent Scandinavian word that probably created a giggle, but cock to them meant neither chicken nor anything else. The word was pillicock. Then words often get shorter, especially the juicy ones, and so you start calling it just a cock. And next thing you know, you end up getting these chain shifts, because once cock is associated with that thing, then especially as it starts to be thought of as obscene, that's the 16, 1700s, especially as we're no longer allowed to talk about body parts of any interest, then you start having some awkward situations with the fact that cock already meant some things. And so, for example, like on a barrel, what the beer is coming out of, that can be called a cock. That's an archaic meaning. Well, there's a reason why Brits now tend to call that a tap, or we call it spigot and faucet. Have you ever thought about how kind of pretentious and weird those words are? I mean, look at them and you can see that they're French. Ah, le spigot. Or the, you know, the faucet, le faucet. But why are we referring to something so mundane as that thing where you, you turn a little screw and something comes out that you drink? Why are we calling it a faucet? That's because we didn't want to call it a cock anymore. There are reasons for these things. Or think about a, a weather vane. If you like old books, you know that some people used to call it a weathercock. We don't now, despite the fact that you can see that rooster up there. And there is a reason weather vane is euphemistic because weathercock now sounds like God knows what, but you don't really want to say it. Or even this, you know, roosters are running around and, you know, they're creating chickens and we eat chickens, etc. You'd assume that rooster goes back to some Anglo-Saxon word like roastery or something like that. No, rooster is actually a rather coy word. It's kind of like rooster. <laughs> it's only from the 1700s. And that's because that male chicken used to be called a roost cock. Makes perfect sense. It's the cock that, I don't know, rules the roost or whatever it does, but it was the roost cock. Well, after you don't want to say that, you're going to call it something. And so that's why it started being called a rooster or or little women. <sighs> that book, I've pretended to have read it my whole life. I don't think I'm going to get to it. I have seen the first sound movie. And I must admit that Catherine Hepburn, for me, a little of her always went a long way. And that kind of ruins it for me. I know that's heretical to say. I've seen probably most of her movies. And I get what was appealing about her. But I just kind of rubs me the wrong way. So it kept me from really liking that movie. Spring Byington, Edna May Oliver, all that's great. 
That is actually the only Little Women I've seen. I've heard that this new one by Greta Gerwig is really good. But Little Women, Louisa May Alcott, her father, Bronson Alcott, his original name was Bronson Alcox. Well, he was just at the time where somebody would not have liked that. And so he changed it from Alcox to Alcott. There was a reason. That's the sort of thing that the prohibition on cock did. And, you know, it's interesting, though, because, of course, it you know, kept going underground. And the word originally, especially in America and especially in the South, could be used to refer to a female's area as well. One of the oddest things that you have quotations from the South of people, if I may, saying things like, ever since you came out of your mother's cock, and they don't mean anything really creative. They just mean that, you know, there was a more generalized meaning. The fact is that the word is getting a little, little hoary now. I mean, H-O-A, R-Y. It's not exactly current to me as a default reference. I remember when I was in college in the early 80s, there was one woman friend of mine who used it a lot. To me, that's about the end of it being used as the default term. There's a reference in Kurt Vonnegut's God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, where a guy of a certain age says, drop your cocks and grab your socks. It's a little antique, and it's not surprising that the character who says it is not exactly young. That book, I think, is 19... Is that book 1965? And that's a little little old. Nowadays, it would be something like, you know, drop your dicks and hit the bricks. The idea is that there are these young men who are supposed to put on their socks and go help with, like, swabbing the deck of a boat or something like that. But now it would be different. And actually, that little rhyme that I just did, that is definitely something that we need to bring on our first show tune. I'll bet two-thirds of you who are show tunes fans know what I'm going to play. It is going to be Avenue Q. And this is Trekkie Monster. And the song is called Not Night and Day, Not Mr. Snow, Not Even G. Officer Krupke. This one is called The Internet is for Porn. Now I happen to know for a fact that you, Rod, check your portfolio and trade stocks online. That's correct. And Brian, you buy things on Amazon.com. Sure. And Gary, you keep selling your possessions on eBay. Yes, I do. And Princeton, you sent me that sweet online birthday card. True. Oh, but Kate, what you think he do after? Hmm? <laughs> yeah. The internet is for porn. Gross. The internet is for porn. I hate porn. Grab your dick and double click for porn. Porn, porn, porn. I hate porn. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why, I guess I'll put it this way, why Richard? If we're going to talk about the more default today name for that part, why the nickname for Richard? Well, the world will never know precisely, but there has been a general tendency for that part to attract personal 
names. And, you know, we can all think of examples. You can call it your Peter. You can call it your Johnson. You can call it your John Thomas. You can call it your Willie. All of those things, because apparently there's something personish about the thing. It brings to mind Elaine's comment in that episode of Seinfeld. Hey, Jerry, you ever seen one? Oh, you mean it wasn't, uh... Yeah. No, you? Yeah. <laughs> What'd you think? It had no face, no personality. <laughs> it was like a Martian. <laughs> but hey, you know, that's me. Hey! So maybe it's natural given what it looks like and the fact that it has a certain self movement that it kind of moves on its own in a way that is mystifying sometimes. And so, yes, there are going to be these personal names. And it just happens that that Richard name really did settle in on it. That was gradual, though, because the word Dick at first has a meaning not only of nickname of Richard, but at first it means kind of like a dandy. You're kind of a a well-dressed Dick. And so 1592, one quote is, a brave, dapper Dick quaintly attired in velvet and satin. And they don't mean what we would mean. What they mean is somebody who's, you know, looking pretty good. And then gradually it starts to mean not a a well-dressed person, but just really a person. And so think about Tom, Dick, and Harry, and the idea that a dick is just an ordinary person. But the question is, when do they start extending it from person, whatever his name is, to the part? Now, conventionally, I'm supposed to say that it has something to do with British slang and that it only appears in the late 1800s. And, you know, I frankly don't think so. There's a much earlier quote that I don't think I'm that prurient a person, but I think that this is a reference, if perhaps a little bit to the side, this is a reference to the part using that word. It's a person who says, I'm going to try for some sort of female voice, because I assume it is one. You can lie like a log by me all night. And when your eyes turn your backside towards me, as though I should kiss that out, thou unnatural knave, thou, thou feeble dick, thou. Now, the woman may, that was my tender woman, the woman may think that the man who turns his backside to her is a dick. Okay, but I think it's fairly clear that what's being referred to here is his, shall we say, as though I should kiss that, like the that. Out, thou unnatural knave, thou, thou feeble dick, thou. It's a feeble dick. That's what she means. And so that's 1654. And we can assume that the term did not arise a month before that was written down. It goes way, way back. But of course, it's not written because these things are underboard. Cole Porter will be useful for us here. And for a change, it's not going to be a Cole Porter song nobody's ever heard of. Let's do Kiss Me, Kate. And there is Tom, Dick, and Harry. And in the choral arrangement, and I don't know if he was responsible for this or not, it's pushed pretty hard that, you know, Dick can have two meanings. This surprised me because actually it's not surprising that they leave this off of the original cast recording from the late 40s because it's really a bit much. It's this whole bit about a dick, a dick, a dick, a dick, a dick, a dick. And before I had heard a full recording of Kiss Me, Kate, this will not go on much longer, I knew somebody who had been in a school production who who spontaneously sang that choral arrangement. And I thought, how much dick was there in that song? Well, quite a bit. Listen to this. This is from the 90s revival. This is Amy Spanger and the guys singing. Aren't thou Tom, Dick, or Harry? Tom, 
Dick, Tom, Harry, or Dick. She's a maid who would marry and would no longer tarry. I'm a maid who would marry, may my hopes not miscarry. I'm a maid mad to marry and will take double quick any Tom, Dick, or Harry. This D-I-C-K word has had an interesting history in that you never know what these words for genitals are going to end up meaning. And so you can say something like, you know, I didn't get dick. And what you mean is that you didn't get any money or you didn't get any food or something like that. It doesn't have to have an anatomical or a sexual reference. And so, you know, dick kind of means nothing. And that's probably a stand in to keep things percolating from I didn't get shit. Well, once that stops being as piquant as it used to be, you'll stick something else in there, so to speak. Sorry, that was unintentional. And so you'll say, I didn't get dick. But, you know, really, there are languages that do better with that word. And my favorite one is Russian. Russian is all about the dicks, not to mention a couple of other things. I used to get my hair cut in a shop where it's the only place on earth where I could listen to Haitian Creole and Russian at the same time. And the guys speaking Russian, I could always get half. You know, I would make it an exercise because getting your hair cut is boring. And I'm sitting there always trying to pretend I know some Russian. But I was get about half of what they were talking about as the years went by, maybe 52 percent. But there was always a kind of a, a limit. And I realized that part of the limit was just that I didn't know because I don't get enough practice. But about 25 percent of it is because it's always about dicks and frankly, asses. And you can imagine the female part. And it's just on and on and on in all of these eccentric expressions where I couldn't guess the meaning. This is just some of the things that Russian does with this word. So to say zero or zip, not a dick, nothing in particular, no special dick. If you say, are you crazy? One way to say that in Russian is, are you torn off your dick? If you want to say something is done shittily, you say something is done dickly. If you want to talk about like some random shoddy crap, roughly the Russian way to say that it's a bunch of dickery, not on your life, a dick up your ass. Who knows? (laughs) Dick knows. No way. Dick to you. (laughs) Or one of my favorites. Eh, It's the same either way. One way to say that is same dick. that's Russian. So they're better on that word than English is. But you never know what's going to happen. Just think that that's really all about just the male part. (laughs) Same dick. We have to go somewhere from here. And I'm going to be very careful because the female word here, the one that begins with C, really, it really is one of the most unsayable words in the English language. The other one begins with N. But with this one, I do not believe I have ever said it except to refer to it. And you all know how profane I am. It's just, it's too dirty. And in other usages, it's just too mean. But of course, I refer to C-U-N-T. And even if I don't say it, we might want to know where it came from. And you know, we really don't know. You really do lose the signal once you go back. It's used in very early times quite a bit before it's treated as obscene. And so you can see it used as a very ordinary word for vagina. Where that ordinary word comes from, though, is not clear. It's not in Old English. It's not a pan-Germanic word. It's clear from Germanic languages like English and its friends that there's something about coup 
You can think of it as C-O-O, or in terms of sounds, K-U, coo. There's something about coo that has a way of referring to the female part, that what might come most immediately to our minds is something like if I make cooch. And that word is there, and there are other words with that you know, shape that I'm not going to say. Something about coo, and it's funny, you get something like helter-skelter, hobnob, higgledy-piggledy. In English, there's this sort of underground rule that if you're going to make a cute word, then you have some word, and then before it, you put something like that word that begins with H. We just kind of like that. Helter-skelter. Well, then hoochie-coochie, that word. I believe that's what Grandpa Walton was saying when he had his heart attack. I didn't think about that until right now. Remember that scene where he's kind of dancing and talking about how he saw people doing the hoochie-coochie on stage, and then he has his heart attack? I was very moved. And then Ellen Corby, Grandma, had a stroke, and they had that in the show. Anyway, hoochie-coochie. And you never know what's going to happen. I remember in the 90s hearing people using a very disrespectful word, hoochie-mama, and that's hoochie-coochie. Then you leave off the coochie, and you get hoochie, just like you leave off the pillow from pillowcock, and you get cock. You never know what's going to happen. But where the actual C-U-N-T word itself comes from, it's very hard to say. Way, way, way back, you see it used, again, very casually. So just like you have John Pillicock and just like you have Roger Fuck by the Naval, you have places called like Grope Cunt Lane. That's the only time I'm going to say it. Notice it was all within that other word. And that means it's a place where somebody might go for you know, certain, certain, but it's called that openly like it's written down it wasn't an obscene word and so you'll get you know a saying this is 1325 and in the middle english it's and that means give your cuckoo wisely the idea being give your cuckoo wisely and make demands after the wedding and that's just ordinary you see the same word used in anatomy books as a reference to what we would now call the vagina. There was just nothing wrong with it. Now, it was still funny, depending on the context. There's a little bit of <laughs> in it. Now, why is the person French? It has to be kind of a cockney, although there was no such thing as cockney yet. English persons are kind of like, <laughs> there was that sort of thing in it. And so, for example, in Chaucer, there are all these references to a quaint. Now, there's no evidence that that's the way the word was ever said. Rather, Chaucer is calling it a quaint because that's close to what the C-U-N-T word would have been at the time, which was something like coint. And he didn't want to write that word. So you say the quaint, especially if you're thinking that the part in question could be seen as quaint, as in something that's made well, which is what quaint meant at the time. And the closest I think we can come to that is something like, imagine if a man's part was called a probit and Chaucer were writing about it and he kept calling it the man's private, something like that. Well, that's what the quaint was. Once C-O-N-T and its derivants become obscene, then things start happening. And so, for example, rabbit is not what that word is supposed to be. Go way back, and the word for rabbit is coney. You can see that in some other languages. It's a coney. It's not a rabbit. The reason that we changed that was because coney was a little too close to cunny, especially because there's evidence that it was pronounced cunny. So we have rabbit instead. And of course, as many of you know, Brits have a different feeling about that C-U-N-T word than we do. And so there's this wonderful quote that I caught somewhere, I think this is Irish English, actually, where somebody is being described as really liking putting butter in their food. 
And they say of somebody, well, she's really a cuckoo for the butter, isn't she? You know, that's not something I think anybody would say in any context in American English. But in Irish English, that was considered just a kind of a, why is it always French? Kind of a good time. So apparently, it's French is British. That makes sense to me. You know, we need a bit of sherbet. I'm sorry. And it's not going to be a show tune just yet. But I know this is a little weird. But notice, these are interesting etymologies. If you want the etymology of chair, I'll give it to you sometime. But then you're going to stop buying the show. Quaint. What is the etymology of quaint? It's actually interesting. Quaint goes back to the Latin cognitus. Really? Believe it or not. We have quaint. It goes back to cognitus. And cognitus is about knowledge, as you know. That comes down to Old French, which always, you know, took Latin words and just beat them up and squeezed them and kicked them. So cognitus becomes cointa. Cointa. So cognitus, cognitus, cointa, cointa. And cointa meant cunning. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, couldn't that have been how you got C-U-N-T? But think about it. I mean, we'll never know exactly, but would that part be called the cunning thing? Can you imagine somebody really saying, eh, well, I'm looking for her smart part. No, no, that's not what you would call it. And so I think it's an accident. But cunning, if something's cunning, then you might think of it, if it's a thing, as skillfully made. And so that's what quaint means for about a century. Then by the next century, it means not skillfully made, but a bit much, kind of precious, maybe what we would call tacky these days, then that morphs into something that's not tacky, but is charming. And then you have that little hint of the pejorative in that it's charming in an old school way. And that's what we mean by quaint. And that seems so unremarkable. But just think that adjective that we apply to, you know, some doily chair in a person's house or something like that, quaint, goes back to a word which in Latin had to do simply with knowledge and knowing a lot of things, from being wise to an anti-Macassar. It's absolutely amazing. In any case, quaint, short and quaint, you get ain't. No, ain't didn't come from quaint. But all of you are always writing me asking about where ain't came from. Ain't, is up. oh, do I hear a song? Yep, yep, yep. That's from the review Call Me Mister, which is after World War II, and there's such a catchy song. It's the title song with Ain't in it that I'm playing this. I've played it before. I'm playing it again. Listen to that orchestra just bounce along as if life wasn't her. Here it goes. It's a beautiful day, ain't it? So exciting and gay, ain't it? There's a beautiful hue and a beautiful blue. Call me mister, lovely weather we've got, ain't it? Not too cold or too hot, ain't it? There's a beautiful breeze in the beautiful trees. Call me mister, there's a lift in the air. There's a song everywhere. There's a tanging, a banging, just living. da de da day it's a wonderful time, ain't it? Ain't All the world is British. You might think it has something to do with black people or the South or something. But no, that goes all the way back to British English way back, meaning in the 1600s at least. And it's short for either am not or are not, really both. And there wasn't anything wrong with it at first, just like there's nothing wrong with don't and can't and won't. You know, we have contractions and we let them sit at the Thanksgiving table. But ain't started having problems. 1875, as late as 1875 in Trollope, 
one reason to read Trollope is you get all sorts of cute linguistic things. So I'm going to pretend to have read The Way We Live Now. Oh, wonderful book. Just wonderful. You've all got to take a look at it. In any case, at one point, Lord Nidderdale, who's an aristocratic character. See how I can pretend that I've read it and I know all about Lord Nidderdale? What a, what a delightful old bird he was. In any case, at one point, he says, but then she don't want me. And I ain't quite sure that I want her, he says. But why is he saying ain't if he's somebody who has his little finger stuck up? It's very common in, and I can say from actual experience, it's very common in books at this time. But ain't got rejected supposedly because there's no such thing as a separate word a, and so the word doesn't make sense. So don't, well, there is a do not. Can't, well, cannot. But a, what's an a? But then again, with won't, it's the same thing. Will not, won't. Well, what's woe? Well, except for I in Mandarin, I'm not sure what it is, but we put up with won't. We think of that as formal. Won't can be dressed up quaintly and sit at the table and make the toast. But ain't, as far as we're concerned, is for the lowly soul. These things can be so viciously arbitrary. You know what? Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a linguistically precious show. It's wonderful in many ways. It might surprise you to know the Broadway numbers are not what I like about it. I would actually enjoy it just as much and frankly, perhaps more if it didn't have the songs. I just think it's a delightful comedy. But if you want to know why Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a linguistic and linguistics feast and why I love Vela Lavelle, I love saying that, love Vela Lavelle, then you're only going to find out if you sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus, for a nominal fee, you get a little bit at the end. And the bit sometimes goes for a good five, ten minutes, a little bit of more stuff at the end, often on the topic that I've covered, or sometimes just whatever happens to be on my mind, sometimes with more clips and music. And the nice thing about Slate Plus is that if you get it for just a nominal fee, and it really is nominal, then you don't have to listen to any commercials. You don't have to listen to me breaking this up with ads. You don't have to listen to anybody else doing them and wondering why they didn't have me do it. You don't have to deal with any ads. And of course, it's for all of Slate's podcasts. And the money will not only go into my, not only support my show, but it will also help pay for the other podcasts that Slate does so well. So just think about Slate Plus, because if you want to hear about crazy ex-girlfriend and why I as a linguist love it, you're not going to know if you don't buy Slate Plus. In any case, at this point, we do need to turn and take a look at one other of these words, because some of you are going to ask about it if I don't do it, and it really is worth thinking about. What about the word in question along these lines, again, for a female Human being, where it has to do with a cat. So what about, I'll say it one time, what about, not C-U-N-T, but but pussy? Why do we call it that? Now, there's the boring etymology and the one that I like better. And so I'm just going to say the one I like better is more likely, which I think for various reasons it is. But, you know, we can talk about it. It may be that the Scandinavians had another word. This time it wasn't pillowcock. They had a word for pouch and it was poos. So, you know, they started calling it a pouch. I find that depressing for various reasons. And I suspect that there are things, I have to put this carefully, but suppose something happened to be warm. Suppose there were a fur associated with it. There is a likeness. One might be inclined to call such a thing a cat or a word that was actually more common in earlier English, a puss or a pussy. And I suspect that's what happened. And it's only in the late 1800s that it becomes a dirty word. Before that, it's a very affectionate word. And there are some unintentional laughs that you get 
in literature. Like, have you ever actually read Uncle Tom's Cabin? I wouldn't hurry. But if you've ever actually been put through it, you get things like, you know, little Eva is talking to her father and her father says, what do you think, pussy? And you're thinking, what a lovely thing to call your daughter. But that's because then it just meant why you cute little pussycat and I can hug you and pet you and squeeze you and call you George. But today the word is just so loaded. I mean, frankly, it's almost obsolete in the cat meaning in American English. I mean, I know technically that pussy is a word for kitten, but actually just the other day I put, I thought I saw a pussy cat up on the blackboard for one of my classes and everybody laughed. And I don't think that they were finding Sylvester and Tweety all that viscerally funny in 2019. Frankly, most of them now haven't seen Sylvester and Tweety because we live in the future. It was just that they think that word is, is funny. I had to apologize or I remember my mother reading me the, um, what is it, Edward Lear, the owl and the pussycat. I now, one, would not read this to my children, nor can I imagine, frankly, reading it out loud at all, except for this one time, which will be the last in my life. But think about how this sounds now. The owl and the pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea-green boat. They took some honey and plenty of money wrapped up in a five-pound note. The owl looked up to the stars above and sang to a small guitar. Oh, lovely pussy, oh, pussy, my love, what a beautiful pussy you are. You are, you are, what a beautiful pussy you are. Impossible. It just it doesn't work anymore. The word's meaning has changed. But, you know, that's American me. That's American uptight me. Because in Britain, there's a subtle difference. One of the oddest things that I've ever experienced with TV is when I fell in love with the Britcom Are You Being Served from the 70s. And I'm watching these people, you know, puttering around in this department store. And I remember I turned from the screen for a second. I was making popcorn or something. And all of a sudden, Mrs. Slocum, and for Americans, imagine roughly Charlotte Ray, a kind of Mrs. Garrett, but more pretentious. In fact, they tried an American version and indeed Charlotte Ray was the person who was the Mrs. Slocum. Imagine roughly a Mrs. Garrett who's a little more uptight. There's a class issue that doesn't translate into American. But all of a sudden, Mrs. Slocum says something about pussy. And I had to rewind because I thought, did that person on that show just use that word in reference not to a cat? And in fact, it was a running joke on Are You Being Served that Mrs. Slocum would make these references to that and they always made it clear right after that she was talking about her cat but the double entendre was clear and each one of those lines still gives me belly laughs here's a quick little montage of the sort of thing which was playing on british television for ordinary people in the 70s one minute late you're lucky to have me at all captain peacock I had to throw my pussy out before I came. <laughs> Mrs. Slocum, Mr. Rumbold would like to know why you're late. Well, the central heating broke down. I had to light the oven and hold my pussy in front of it. <laughs> well, if I'm to spend an evening in this club, there'll have to be accommodation for my pussy. <laughs> Mr. Humphreys, leave my pussy alone. <laughs> You notice how I'm laughing like I actually just heard the clips. It's it's not true. We don't use the clips during the taping of the show. I'm just doing my version of acting. That's giving you a sense of how the sausage is made. I haven't heard it in a week. But in any case, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> 
ah, that clip which I just heard here in the booth. That is so funny. Just imagine a show made at the same time. Mary Tyler Moore. Can you imagine anybody saying anything about pussy on that show, even if it was technically about a cat? Can you imagine Sue Ann Niven saying something to Lou Grant, you know, where she gets a cat and pats the cat and makes some remark? There would be no way that would have gotten by standards. Even in the post-Watergate, let it all hang out. Everybody's on the pill, even men 70s. There's no way. So in Britain, that word has a slightly different place, or at least did in the 70s, than it does now. You never know how these things are going to go. Because I consider it my duty to treat you to important facts that one ought to know, such as that Franklin Pierce's wife was named Jane or that Jell-O makes a peach variety. You should know that the poet Edna St. Vincent Millay had a husband, Eugene Boisevain, and Eugene Boisevain referred to that part that we're talking about not as a, a pussy, but as a kitty. Just thought you might want to know that. It's in the letters that he wrote to her. That is a very important fact. You're supposed to read Finnegan's Wake, and you're supposed to know that he called it a kitty. This song, I think, shall close us out today. This is, I say shall, because it's British. Noel Coward. This song is called Chase Me Charlie. It's about a cat. No one seems to like this but me. I have tried to use it in various parts of my life, and people are always very polite. No one thinks this is cute but me, but... I like it. This is Christine Ebersole singing about, frankly, a horny cat. And you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. I promise you, folks, next week, squeaky clean. We're going to have a book roundup, and I promise you that'll be more interesting than it sounds. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley, and I hope you won't hate me for having to wait a bit before I can give actual answers most of the time. Mike Volo is, as always, the editor, and I am John McWhorter. Why are you lingering? Chase me, Charlie, chase me, Charlie. This is my final call. Pussycat, pussycat, don't.